Welcome to the sermon ministry of River Community Church, a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana. Our purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org. From the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, God, writing through the Holy Spirit, gives us these words. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will be shepherd, my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. If you are a child second grade and under and your parents invite you to go to children's church, please meet in the back. We do have sermon challenges for everybody who wants to get on and start a new fresh score right there in the back. We also have sermon outlines for uh, you grown-ups if you would like to follow along that way too. Well, good morning again. So we are celebrating the fourth Sunday of Advent, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ through the remarkable, miraculous story of him being born as a, as a baby child, a, a human among us, frail in the arms of a mother and a father. And we have been preparing ourselves for Christmas by taking that uh, scripture from Isaiah 9-6, to us a son is given. And looking at how that promise spans the entire course of God's history of redemption. We saw uh, several weeks ago that it starts with Adam right after the curse. We are told that one of the offspring of the woman will come who will crush the head of the serpent. And so we saw that Jesus is the fulfillment of the son of Adam by becoming the second Adam. Who crushes the head of the serpent and brings us the righteousness that our father Adam lost. Then we progressed in the story and we saw how God raised up 
a man named Abraham who was childless and promised him that he would bring a son, an heir, to him, even though he could not have the son himself. And so we discovered in Abraham's trusting the promise of God that the son of Abraham reminds us that at Christmas we receive the gift of grace. All that we need, all that God requires, God supplies. And then as the story progressed, as Abraham had children, and then we have Jacob who has the 12 children who become the 12 tribes of Israel, the nation Israel, we saw that God delivered his people out of the slavery of Egypt and called him to himself, calling him, calling this nation his firstborn son. And we discovered that the purpose of God's firstborn son, the nation Israel, was to be a royal priesthood, to stand between a sinful world and a holy God and offer reconciliation. But of course, Israel failed because they became more worldly than holy. So we see in Jesus becoming the true son of Israel that we have that priest that we need to provide the reconciliation to a holy God. Israel's story continues further into the period of the kings, and we discover that we meet the first great king of Israel, David. And David was was a good king. He was after uh, God's heart. He wasn't a perfect king. He, He failed in many ways. But he was a king that God had raised up. And we are told in our Advent reading that God promised David that there would be a son of his who would reign forever on his throne. And so this week, we go to the fourth week of Advent to discover what it means that Jesus is the son of David, the promised son of David. Because after David came, then there was Solomon, and Solomon brought in idolatry, and then there was Rehoboam, and he split the kingdom in two. And we follow this sad story through the books of 1 and 2 Kings of an increasingly disobedient country, a nation, that eventually goes into exile. And the question of the promise that God made to David becomes greatly doubted. Because we leave in the the book of Kings with no clear heir to uh, to the throne. But we follow through the prophets, and the prophets continue to remind us that God is going to raise up a shoot from the stump of Jesse, somebody who will take on the sonship of David, who will come from David, but will be unlike David, and that he will not lose the kingdom. And those prophecies, uh, one of those, one of our favorite ones of those, is obviously Isaiah 9, 6, and 7, which tells us that to us a son is given. So today we are celebrating Jesus as the son of David. And as the son of David, we are celebrating the fact that he reigns, that we have a king who reigns over us today. Now the question may come to you, especially in our democratic ways, who needs a king? What good is a king? Why do we need someone over us? Why do we need to be under some authority? Perhaps you feel quite content not having a king in your life, being, in fact, your own king. Well, I I think this may be the only time I do it, but the modern-day prophet, Bob Dylan, said it right when he said, you got to serve somebody. In this life, you serve somebody. You can serve God or you can serve your desire for money. You can serve God, or you can serve your pursuit for sex. 
You can serve God or you can serve your job. You can serve your God or you can, you can serve uh, any number of things that you want to make God. But I bet you every single one of us here, especially as Christmas kind of concentrates a lot of, of issues in our life, I want to ask you the question, who reigns in your life right now? Who reigns? Are you being overwhelmed with fears? Are you dealing with anxieties? Are you dealing with regrets? Are you feeling loneliness and depression? Are you battling a sin nature or a sin habit that continues to seem to win the day? Are those things reigning in your life? You see, Advent is the good news that a good king reigns over us and frees us from being overwhelmed and overcome by those sorts of rulers. So that's what we want to see today. But also, I have to ask the question, even though you are here and you might say, yeah, you know, Jesus is my king, is he really? Being here in church does not mean Jesus is your king does not mean that Jesus is your Lord. You can can be in church. You can raise your kids in the Bible. You can participate in all sorts of church things. You can tithe. You can be baptized. But if Jesus does not reign over your heart, he is not your Lord. And so the question needs to come to each and every one of us, who truly reigns? Is it Jesus? Is it myself? Is it something else? Because as we come to recognize Jesus is the son of David, we discover that Jesus reigns as the promised son of David. And I want this to be great news for every single one of us as we discover what it means that Jesus reigns. So what can we say about Jesus and his reign over us? Well, as we go through this passage from Matthew chapter 2, I want to draw three truths of Jesus' reign to your attention. First, I want us to see that his reign has no end. Second, I want us to see that his reign is thoroughly good. And third, I want us to recognize that his reign brings great joy. Let us turn to to the first uh, couple verses and see what I mean when I say his reign is has no end. In Matthew chapter 2, this is after Jesus was born. He was born at the end of chapter 1. So we're dealing with the fact that Jesus is is a baby. We know from chapter 1, we know from last week, that Jesus means that he will save his people from their sins. Jesus has been born to be a savior. We are also told that Jesus is Emmanuel, which is God with us. And so this Jesus has, is now living in Bethlehem as a, a baby or a young child. The word after he was born is, is not exactly precise. There's reason to believe that he could be as old as two at this time. And the reason that we can make that deduction is because when Herod decides he is going to destroy the Messiah, but does not know who the Messiah is, he selects to go to Bethlehem 
and put to the sword every baby boy two years and younger, which suggests Jesus had to be at, could, be as, could have been as old as a two-year-old in this passage. So time has passed. Herod is the king. Herod uh, dies in 4 BC. So we have to come to terms with the fact that Jesus was born before uh, zero on our calendar. 4 BC, 5 BC, 6 BC is probably the year that Jesus was born. But when he is born, we are told in Matthew that there was a, a great light, a star in the sky, and it drew wise men from the east who wanted to meet the new king. Now, uh, the ESV uses the term wise men. The, the Greek actually tells us that they were, they were magi, which is just a fancy word for magicians. Likely these magi or wise men were uh, practitioners of the false practice, the aberrant practice of astrology, uh, where they would study the stars and try and discern uh, the movements of kings and nations. And yet, even though they are in an aberrant belief system and an aberrant practice, we see something very amazing about God's grace. It reaches to these astrologers in the Far East. And somehow, God uses them in their brokenness and their, and their, their wrongheadedness to draw them to come to the true king, to the true faith. And so he has put a star, a bright star in the sky that draws these magi to come to Jerusalem. Very likely the the magi see this star over the nation of of, uh, Israel and they uh, bring to mind these prophetic words preserved in our Old Testament from Numbers 24, 17, where Balaam, a a, a prophet, uh, a a false prophet, but one who nonetheless spoke some true words, said this, I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel. It shall crush the forehead of Moab and break down all the sons of Sheth. So these pagan magicians from the east, aware of this this, uh, prophet Balaam's prophecy that a star would come out of Jerusalem representing a new king say maybe maybe this is the day that this prophecy is fulfilled and so they begin to head towards Jerusalem they may be heading from as far away as Babylon or Persia we don't really know but they are coming to meet the fulfillment of this prophecy they are coming to meet the newborn king And so Matthew wants in this passage to show us that Jesus is the king. And he wants to illustrate for us the dimensions of Jesus' kingship through three different clues that he gives in this passage. He wants to show us that the dimensions of his reign is first over all the earth. We have these wise men, these magicians who come from the very far east, from Persia or Babylon or perhaps even further They are coming to worship this newborn king. They are coming to give honor to this newborn king. The fact that people from the farthest regions of the known world are making their trek to Jerusalem to worship this one born 
is a foretaste of what Matthew ends his gospel with when he says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the reign of this new king spreads over all the earth. The reign of this king goes over all nations and all peoples. There is no corner of this earth. There is no family tree in this earth that Jesus does not have a claim to kingship over. He is king over all the earth. Next, we must recognize that his kingship is for all time. Is for all time. Our Advent reading tells us that the son of David who will come will have a throne forever. Isaiah 9, 7 tells us that of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. Matthew makes this clear when he tells us when Jesus is born that he is Emmanuel, God with us. And then how does he end his gospel? He ends it with these words, And lo, I will be with you till the end of the age. God with us and with us to the end of the age is to let us know that the king that is being born, the king that these magi are coming to, is a king who has no end to his reign. His reign is forever. And third... When we say his reign has no end, we are saying that his reign is over all powers. All powers. I think that that is one of the significances of the star. I mean, behold this. A star in the heavens was ordained to serve this newborn king. To shine its lamp Upon its birthplace, that stars obeying the newborn king in announcing, I have come. I think that's incredible. That should blow our minds. What we are told is what we learn in, in Psalm 19.1. The heavens declare the glory of God and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. The heavens are serving the newborn king, declaring the speech to these magi, come and see. We go through the, the, the gospels, we go through the gospel of Matthew, and we are seeing again and again that Jesus is sovereign over all powers. When the wind and the waves overwhelm the disciples on the boat, he says, quiet, be still. And they obey. When there is sickness in his midst, he touches it and it flees. When there is death, he says, rise and it must disappear. When there are demons overwhelming and occupying people, and he says, be gone, they must leave. You see, the, the king that is born in Bethlehem 
is over all the earth. His reign is for all time. It is over all powers. Oh, this is great comfort. Because if you confess Jesus as Lord, the one who is over all people, over all time, and over all powers, then you know these words are for you. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the king we have. You cannot leave his realm You cannot be lost once you are his. No matter what wants to stand in the way of you and God, that thing is a fool. Because it cannot stand against the Lord of all the earth, of all time, and over all powers. But the question I have to ask you, is this Jesus your king? Because the Bible makes it very clear, you have to enter by faith into his kingdom. The very first words that Jesus gives in his ministry in Matthew 4.17 is this. Jesus began to preach saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He is the ruler of the kingdom of heaven and he calls all people who want to be under that kingdom You enter it by one way and one way only, repenting and believing in Jesus as Lord. Can you say that the one who reigns over all the earth, over all powers and for all time is your king? Because that's what makes Christmas good news, knowing this one as your king. Now second, the second truth, after we know his reign has no end, Matthew wants us to see that his reign is thoroughly good. His reign is thoroughly good. The wise men follow this star, and they come to Jerusalem. Their assumption is if there is a new king in Israel, it's going to be in Jerusalem which is the capital. And they go naturally to Herod's house, who is the king. Herod in this gigantic palace. They kind of come in and they're like, hey, good job having a new baby boy. And then they find out that Herod has no idea what they're talking about. The assumption is this new king must be Herod's child. It must be the son of the king. And so Matthew brilliantly shows us by the the Magi's mistaken understanding of where the king would be that the king that God has for us is vastly different than the kings of this world. The king that God gives us, the son of David that we have, is not a Herod. 
He brings to us the noxious smell of Herod so that we can smell the sweet fragrance of Christ, the King. The Magi come into to Herod's opulent, majestic palace, made at no expense. I mean, his building projects still stand today. If you go to, to Jerusalem, you will see these fortresses and these hippodromes and these stadiums, all of them made by Herod. They are quite impressive. His palace was incredibly impressive. And so these magi come into him, come to the king in Jerusalem. And who do they meet when they meet Herod? They meet a man who is power hungry. His entire life has been about conquest. He's, he's been scheming how to, how, to, how to defeat this kingdom and that kingdom and this usurper of power and that usurper of power. He is a power-hungry man. He is worldly. He is transforming Jerusalem, the city of God, into a Greek and Roman city because he is enamored with the wisdom of the world and the ways of the world. And he is heartless and oh so cruel. Do you know that on the, in, in, his, in his will... For when the day he died, he called for the execution of all the beloved nobles in the city. Do you know why he did that? Because he wanted people to be sad when he died. He was hated. So he wanted to kill people that people loved so that there would be tears on his day of death. He was cruel and heartless. He was paranoid, always worried about his kingdom. He had six different wills made, uh, casting one son as the, as the heir and then, and then canceling that out when he was upset at them. He had three of his kids killed. He had one of his wives killed. The reputation, the proverb from one of the emperors speaking of Herod was, it is better to be a pig in Herod's house than a son because the pig has a better chance of living. Herod was constantly seeking to hold on to his power because at heart he was illegitimate. He had no rightful claim to the throne of Jerusalem. He had no blood of David in him. And so he is constantly fearful of somebody trying to take the kingdom from him. And he becomes more and more violent and greedy for power. So imagine what happens when these absent-minded magi come into his room and speak to him and say, where is he who was born king of the Jews? He's not been born king of the Jews. And now you're telling me that there is someone out here who is going to take my throne? The fear and the paranoia of Herod boils over. And he will eventually go to Bethlehem to murder every child two years and younger. But we have to admit this as we look at the story of Herod. Maybe some of the facts of Herod and how he has dealt with power and how heartless he was is different. But we must say this. 
We're familiar with that kind of power. We're familiar with that kind of leader who seeks power for himself, who is worldly, who is cruel. I mean, there is a, there is, it is not an accident that the word politician brings out so many negative thoughts to us. The assumption of somebody in politics, it's not fair, but there's a lot of history, is that there is corruption. We know bad leaders. We've suffered under bad leaders. We've suffered less than most, but still, we recognize Herod, the spirit of Herod in this world. But the good news of the gospel, the good news of Christmas is that a righteous, good ruler has come. Look again at verses 5 and 6. The chief priests and the, and the scribes, the religious leaders of Israel, answer Herod's question, where is the Christ to be born? And they say this, they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For uh, from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. The, the scribes and the religious leaders, the priests, are quoting from the Old Testament scriptures. They're quoting from Micah 5 verse 2 and a little bit from 2 Samuel 5, 2, to tell us who this child born is and where he is born. And they tell us three magnificent things. By knowing their scriptures, they are able to know that it is the son of David. The son of David is the, is the promised one that is to come. Second, they are even able to know that he is born in Bethlehem. This, this uh, new king is the promised son of David and comes according to plan in the city of Bethlehem. And third, that he has come to rule as a shepherd. That is what God's king is. A shepherd. Not a tyrant. A shepherd. And so when we hear that he is a shepherd, we should think of these words from Jesus in John chapter 10. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You see, the shepherd, the, the king that God brings is a shepherd who knows his flock personally and cares for his flock perfectly. Jesus' reign is thoroughly good. He is the fulfillment of Isaiah 9-6, which we have read each and every week. He is the wonderful counselor, meaning he rules with perfect wisdom. He is mighty God, meaning that he has all power to accomplish his good will. He is everlasting Father, 
which is to say that his kingship is loving and compassionate and personal to his sheep. He is the prince of peace, meaning that under his reign is true security, true rest, true freedom from fear. Now that does not mean that Jesus is not going to be a shepherd that's going to get in your way. That doesn't mean that Jesus isn't a shepherd that's going to not ever say no to you or not ever bring his rod upon you. He is a good shepherd, meaning that he will discipline you as a sheep if you are wandering or if you are pursuing wrong things, but he is a good shepherd. So if you experience his rod You're experiencing the love that says, I can't let you go because what I want for you is so much better than what you are pursuing for yourself. The good shepherd has come. That's what we are being told here in Matthew. The good shepherd has come, and let me say this clearly, he is calling He is calling. His voice is coming out through the scriptures. Are you following him? Is that voice a voice that is calling you? I beckon you. Come to it. So his reign has no end. His reign is thoroughly good. And third, his reign brings great joy. His reign brings great joy. Let's go to Matthew 2, verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now visualize this. These magi, have come from a great distance and they go by by the deduction of their own mind that the king is going to be in Jerusalem and the king is going to be in the palace of of, of Herod. And so they go into the palace of Herod. And Herod's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And so at evening time, the, the wise men come out after having heard the word of God to go to Bethlehem. And as they basically step out into the into the night sky they see that star again, bright and brilliant and unmistakable. And what is that star doing? It is leading the Magi away from the palace, away from the opulence, away from the home of the king, and taking them six miles down into a small little village with no impressive houses, with nothing about it that is remarkable, and it lands its light upon this incredibly modest house. Nobody would pay attention to that house. It's just another family with kids in there. And the Magi have been led to this modest little house by a star. I think that's an amazing picture. They are taken away from Herod. 
They are taken away from conventional worldly power and told to look where you'd least expect it. And when they get there, we read these words, verses 10 and 11. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Matthew is showing through this dramatic movement from Herod's temple to this modest little house being led by a star that Jesus' reign brings great joy. What are we to see in this passage? I, I, I want to single out four, four observations. First, this is God's king. The star leads them out of the temple and to this modest little house. The star is behaving just like the pillar of cloud and fire in Exodus, taking God's people to find God. And so this star leading the way says to everybody who has eyes to see, this one is God's king. This one is the one that the stars are serving and have been put in the sky to illuminate. So we rejoice. This is God's king. Second, oh, thank God it's not in Herod's house. It is not a king of Herod's ilk. It is someone else. Rejoice. Third, the king belongs to the lowly, not the mighty. Rejoice. And fourth, the king comes as a baby. A baby. I don't think I have had a joy in my life that is greater than holding my first baby. My second, third, too. I do that, but holding a baby. And a baby is so beautiful and delightful and sweet, fragile and innocent. It's a baby. And so there is naturally joy in seeing a baby, but, but there is more here. This baby is Emmanuel. This baby is God with us. Reflect on something here. God looks at those magi through the face of a child. God looks at us through the face of a child. To me, this is astounding. What does God's face look like to you? I mean, I, I see a judging face sometimes. I see a frowning face. I see a disappointed face. But the gift of Christmas is that in Christ, God looks at you through a child's face. We are told one of the blessings of the Old Testament is that God's face would shine upon you. 
I mean, is there a face that you can imagine that shines brighter and more sweetly and more joyously than the face of a happy two- or three-year-old? And this is the face that God gives to these magi, a shining face of delight, and it's Emmanuel's face. Looking at these lost astrologers, In Christ, God's face doesn't look at us with malevolence or regret or with a frown. The face of God shines out at Christmas with the purest love and peace and joy to his people. It is so pure, it is coming through the face of a child. And so these magi rejoice with exceedingly great joy. What kind of God is this? He doesn't come as a tyrant. He comes as a baby. He comes to love, to be alongside. Oh, rejoice. And I want you to grasp this. That that joy that the magi have is the joy that is given to those who come to him. The wise men from the east, perhaps hundreds, maybe a thousand or more miles away, have come and they see this face. But who isn't there? Where are the scribes and the priests who opened up their word of God And they said, you want to see the born king? Tells us right here, just go to Bethlehem, six miles down the street. They are not there. They are not there. There is an important warning that Matthew is showing in this contrast. Craig Keener in his commentary says this, While the religious leaders know where the Messiah will be born, they do not join the Magi in their quest. These were the religious leaders, but they failed to act on their most critical biblical knowledge. They knew where to go. They were told he was there. He is the king whose reign has no end, who is thoroughly good, who brings great joy, and they don't go. They don't close the last piece. This is a great warning. You can be so close. You can know this word. You can have copies of it. You can read it. You can sit under it. But you cannot be there if you don't actually have Christ reigning in your heart. You can know, but if you don't believe, you are with the priests, not the magi. You can have all the appearance of righteousness, all the appearance of a good life, all the appearance of wisdom, but if you do not go, To him, 
You are lost. And so where are you? Could you be this morning a really wise but well-seated person who has never come to know Jesus personally? These words from Craig Osborne uh, haunt me. He says, it is critical to realize that seekers, so long as they remain only seekers, continue to reject the Savior every service they attend. For until they obey and worship the Lord, they stand with Herod rather than the Magi. You know your heart. Where is it standing this morning? To us, a son is given. The son of David has come. His reign has no end. His reign is thoroughly good. His reign brings great joy. Does he rule in your heart? I ask that you receive the gift of his reign, which is peace and joy. Let us receive the reign of the good shepherd. And so as we go into Christmas, I would like us to dwell upon him as our good shepherd through reading in unison Psalm 23. This is our king's reign. Say with me, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Thank God for Christmas. The Son of David has come. The Good Shepherd reigns. Amen. Thank you for listening. We hope you've been blessed by this sermon from River Community Church. We are a congregation of the Evangelical Presbyterian Church located in Prairieville, Louisiana, whose purpose is to help people live in and live out the good news of Jesus Christ. We welcome you to worship with us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. and to learn more about us at rivercommunity.org.